production. With how sensitive I am, I'm so sensitive to other people, if not to overly, you know, so I don't think it's a bad thing. I think the worrying that comes with it being so sensitive to me is annoying to my brain. But I've got, I, I suffer from anxiety, like I uh, have since I was tiny. So I think that's all the worrying too. You know, and I've got ADD too. So they say that your mind, you know, jumps a bit. Hence the reason I didn't do very well at school. Hi, I'm Jess Rowe and this is the Jess Rowe Big Talk Show, a podcast that skips the small talk and goes big and deep with our most loved personalities. From love to loss and everything in between, I want to show you a different side of people who seem to have it all together in these raw and honest conversations about the things that matter. I don't know about you, but in this time of social isolation and Instagram, I really crave connected conversations. So I'm going to dig deep to give you a new window into the souls of the people we all love and admire. I always cry and have a laugh, so you can expect some tears and laughter as we celebrate the real-life flaws and vulnerabilities that make us human. My guest for this episode is TV star, actress and singer Sophie Monk. Sophie has been lighting up our screen for over 20 years. She loves reality television, whether she's hosting it or being a contestant. What is special about Sophie is what you see is what you get. She is absolutely herself. And her turn of phrase can leave even me speechless. Sophie, I just adore you and I have loved you since Pop Stars. I remember watching that show and you were just so much the standout. You were like sunshine. You still are. You would just lighten up the screen. Oh, well, I actually didn't know what I was in for. So when I saw the audition, it was in a magazine my mum gave it to me and I thought it was like a special on ABC, like a, you know, 15-minute special and that was it. And then I was like the whole, my whole world just changed overnight. Like literally the next day I was treated different. It was craziness. I mean, how did you deal with that? Because the thing is, I feel like you've grown up in front of our eyes from being that sort of 18, 19 year old to where you're at now. Well, I also was a very young 18, 19-year-old. Like, I, I only had one job at Movie World as Marilyn Monroe as an impersonator, and that was only for, like, nine months. So I just came out of school and then straight into it. So I was just, yeah, very, very young in the industry anyway. And yeah. what was that like? Because the thing was your image, you, I mean, you're so beautiful. And, and as a young woman too, you were just, I mean, you're still like a bombshell. How did you reconcile that when you were sort of young on the inside, but this outward image wasn't young? I was extremely insecure because naturally as a person, I'm like all overboard sensitive. Like I ring someone and worry about what I've said for like two days and they can't even remember I've said it. Like I go, I'm so sorry about that. Like, so back then I was super sensitive anyway and uh, people would call me in Bardo the chubby one. And, the uh, chubby yes, one? Yeah, I was because I was curvy. You know, I had boobs and the, and the girls were like tinsy and that was in fashion then, you know, like straight up and down curves weren't kind of, you wouldn't get magazine covers and stuff like that back in the day. If you remember, like, yeah, old school, the fashions just changed dramatically, which is so good. <laughs> like, it's so good that women, you know, girls love having big boobs and curves and that's how it should be, you know. Um, whereas, yeah, I think it was encouraged, not directly, but I think just uh, 
by the work you'd receive is being straight up and down. So, yeah, I was very self-conscious. Oh, because... Yeah. But what you say now, you know, about the fashion and things changing, but I think now it's not even so much fashion. I think women, we are far more empowered and confident whatever shape or size we are. And I wish someone told me back then it's confidence that's sexy. Um, You know, I'll never forget once I was sitting down and I, you know, dieting and all that stuff and this lady walked in a room. She would have been size 20 or something, but I've never, I felt like I almost got a boner. Like she was so sexy the way she owned her curves and like sat in a chair and I was like, that's sex appeal, you know? Like it's confidence and, and that's what people are attracted to, you know? Um, I think that's gorgeous. I can't believe you said that. Like, Oh, sorry. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I was like, wow, there's no way every guy isn't going bang looking at her. She just made this entrance and just that real old school, you know, slipped into her chair and I was like, no, I'm trying to eat a salad. Look at this lady, like just owning the room. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So... I won't use your terminology, which I do love, because I'm very. It's so funny. I'm. I don't swear, Sophie. And oh, but, oh, but wow, we are very different in that area. <laughs> <laughs> I can't finish a sentence without it, and the passion isn't there without an f bomb or a. Yeah, I'm awful, awful. And, but influence. I'm surrounded by swearers, like. My daughters swear, which just outrages me. My husband yeah. does, and everyone, and I'm like, oh, but um. Yeah, so just getting back to what you were saying about seeing that woman and how it made you feel, who would be your kind of crush? Like if I was going to think about that for me, it would be Katie Lang. Like I, she's someone who I would go, oh, I would turn for her. Oh, right. Ooh. I'd say Angelina Jolie, but she'd scare me. I think she'd be like, you know, in the relationship, she'd be the full-on one. And I, I tend to get walked over, but... Otherwise, who else? Like, I love the curvy, like, Kate Upton as, oh, like, you yes. know, an, Im- an image. But I'm trying to think of someone personality-wise I'm in love with. It's a tricky one. I don't really have crushes. I'm actually not much of a fan of people. You know, I can respect what they do, but I'm not like, oh, my God, I've got to go to their concert or anything anyway. It's just not my vibe. <laughs> yeah. And when you say you're not a fan of people, does that mean you don't really chat to a lot of people because I've got my best friend doesn't like talking to people like she's she likes to just have one-on-ones but then that's it she doesn't want to go to parties she's not interested in oh no I can talk for hours hours and hours on the phone um no I'm meaning I'm not a fan of any celebrities it's just not my thing to be like you know but no I can talk for hours I love sitting on the phone with a friend having a glass of wine I can do it forever oh but having said that don't like going out though you know, like I'd rather do that in my house, be comfy, but to go to dinner and stuff like that, you know, I like the invite. I just don't like going, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that I can totally relate to that. What I want to talk to you about, and you touched on it a little bit before, is about how you want to be perceived and how you deal with criticism and and people wanting to like you. Because I know I wasted a lot of my early years wanting people to like me who I actually didn't like very much. I'm definitely a people pleaser as well. So I wanted everyone to like me and couldn't understand. And I remember my mum always said, not everyone's going to like you. It's just not the way it is. And you waste so much energy on these people that don't like you rather than the people that do. But I think that comes with getting older as well. You just kind of realise, oh, well, if they don't like you, that's fine. You know, like, but I think 
uh, even with, like I'd say, my image, I, I don't like upsetting people at all. Like I won't talk about politics, religion or anything like that because for starters, who wants to hear from me anyway, <laughs> my opinion on that stuff. Oh, I want is, to hear it. Oh, you don't because it, it flips and changes. Someone else tells me a story and I'm on that side, you know, like I'm terrible. But I just think I like making people happy and I think at the beginning of my career, it was very focused on image because I think after singing, it moved into modelling somehow. And you got to go where the work goes. And I think uh, I didn't get to express my personality so much. So all your focus on is on your looks and image, which is so unhealthy. But that's, you know, how I'd get work and I had to pay the bills. Um, but I'm so relieved. I think living in uh, LA for 10 years, coming back and resetting here, was the best thing I've ever done. Um, I just feel like I started being myself. I just went, I'm just going to be me and see if people take to just me being the dork that I am and silly and like doing happy things and, you know, because image is not what I worry about at all anyway, naturally. So I think that was the best thing for me was, um, you know, just uh, starting to be myself in public because I think a lot of People in what I do can try and pretend to be something and I watch them and it's like it's the stress of trying to, you know, always hold up that front. It's so exhausting. I'm kind of lucky. The, yeah, it is. It's exhausting. Um, I remember doing it and you're like, oh, gosh, it's not me. And, you know, you walk out the door and get paparazzi in Hollywood or whatever and people go, what are you wearing? And I was like, oh, God, you could, I just couldn't keep anyone happy with that image. So now that people know that I wear trackies, Uggs and, you know, a bit of a dork and don't really care what I look like, um, it's so much easier to do what I do. But that's what we love about you. What I want to talk about is LA, that 10 years that you live there. You know, yeah. for, as from an outsider, I read that and I think, oh, how glamorous, that just sounds so amazing. But it's not, yeah. is it? No. Well, the thing is, you're going into a kind of like this big place suburb where everyone does what you do. So whether it's like, you know, you're in a place where there's only doctors or there's only surgery or whatever, it's or, or everyone, like even the waitress is trying to be an actress or your dentist is working on a reality show. So I think it's just not healthy being in one environment like that where everyone wants the same thing and it's quite a superficial thing. And a bit soul-destroying. For me it was. I think other people can hack it. I wasn't strong enough you know, I'm too sensitive. So you go for auditions and you hear no three times a day and people just kept going. And I was like, it, it had hurt my feelings all the time getting so close to something and then getting rejected and, you know, and it, it sometimes had to do with the way you looked. So for me, that was tough and that hurt my soul and, you know, the normal stuff. I mean, I've been in it for 21 years now. So the, the things I've seen too, it's changed a lot now. Yeah, I found it really stressful emotionally and lonely. I find it lonely there too for some reason. You have friends, but it's a really lonely place because everyone's kind of doing their own work and um, competing a bit too. So uh, it wasn't for me. I think other people that are stronger and their self-esteem's, you know, all up there, mine wasn't. Don't underestimate the power of being sensitive. And I think... Yeah, that's right. I actually think it's a beautiful trait to be sensitive, to feel things because... To me, that's what life is about. It's not about cutting off and shutting down from people. It's about feeling. That's it. Well, I think with how sensitive I am, I'm so sensitive to other people, you know, because I 
I, if, if not overly. I think I don't think it's a bad thing. I think the worrying that comes with it being so sensitive to me is annoying to my brain. But I've got I, I suffer from anxiety, like uh, have since I was tiny. So I think that's all the worrying too, you know. And I've got ADD too. So they say that your mind jumps a bit. Hence the reason I didn't do very well at school. But you know. <laughs> but the but the interesting thing though about attention deficit is you are very good at, once you find something you love, you yeah. are so good at focusing on it. That it, That's it. I think um, people think, you, you know, ADD sounds like you can't focus on anything. When you do, it's like a dog with a bone. Like if I get onto something, I'll research everything about it if I love it. If I don't like it, I cannot even like flick the page in a book, you know, like it just won't go in. It's so, it's yeah, it's bizarre like that. But I'm lucky. I think a lot of entertainers have ADD. Because um, they take a lot more risks and don't mind change and jumping and all that kind of stuff. So I'm lucky I'm in the entertainment industry, really. Do you take medication for your ADD or anxiety? No, I'm too ADD to take the medication <laughs> to go and get it. But no, <laughs> I, don't. I don't. I don't like medicine. I try and just, um, yeah, try and just deal with it the best way I can. Because often, too, anxiety can be a byproduct of ADD as well, that it's often quite, um, you know, it comes hand in hand with that diagnosis as well. Yeah, which makes sense because you're always, you know, I re- always relate it to school. I used to always feel like I was hopeless. Everything I did, it didn't go in, but it was like so easy for everyone else. Um, I think that's why, though, I started being the class clown, you know, um, and also let the humour of self-deprecation through not feeling you know, as good as everyone at school. You develop coping strategies, don't you, in, in terms of, yeah. okay, how can I navigate through this situation? And I think they are really great life skills that many other people don't learn or, and don't have to hone because what was it at school that you managed to convince all the smart kids to help you with homework? Yeah, you do. So um, my sister was saying, she's like, somehow you don't ask and everyone does it for you. Like, and I was like, yeah, I guess I've learned that skill along the way. Where I'm like, can you help? And everyone kind of helped me out. So I'd get through. And then weren't you the school captain? Yes. And that came because um, the kids voted. They changed it after that, the school. Um, because uh, a friend of mine who was the school captain the year before wrote my speech. So I got school captain. I kept forgetting to turn up for the meetings. It was the worst. <laughs> I was the worst school captain. But I just wanted the badge because my mum was like, I just want one school captain or, you know, prefect or whatever in, in our um, family. And I was like, cool, got ya. I'll negotiate it. You know, grey area of getting it, but still got the badge. I want to go back to LA and when yeah. you were talking about how lonely you felt because... There's that sense sometimes you can be surrounded by people, but you can feel so terribly lonely. Tell me about those emotions, how you felt. I can only talk from my experience. Someone else might say completely different, but my friends are all kind of your agent, you know, someone that works with you or whatever. So you kind of feel like, are they your real friends? And there's a lot of people there that'll be there for the good times as well. You know, um, all over you when you're doing well. It's, It's just a completely different environment. Um, it, I mean, if everyone's just a performer, so everyone kind of wants to be famous, I'd say. So I think that's where it becomes lonely. You kind of go, uh, you know, what's your intentions and um, that kind of thing. And, you know, money. I had a really per- a person very, very close to me 
stupidly, I like let him sign everything and took a lot of money from me too. So I had a lot of hits there emotionally. And what kept you going though? Because 10 years, that is a long time to be living in LA with those sorts of things going on. Well, you're almost there every meeting you do. So, you know, I had like two number one films and that was in comedy and then I did like the shittest horror movies that were just awful D-grade ones, no offence to the directors. And (laughs) I, I think you're almost there. So you've got so much work that comes in or promise and then you might get a pilot and then it falls through, you know. So it kind of just keeps you there. Hindsight, I probably would have just gone for pilot seasons and then come back home. That's what I should have done Um, because you kind of just get stuck there, you know. Um, The work's incredible there, but also there's a lot of talented people. And also, too, during that time, I mean, you had a number of high-profile relationships and engagements. That must have taken a toll too. It kind of hindered um, a lot of roles for me because then you become a socialite, you know, so they don't take you as seriously as well back then. Now, anything goes. You can come off a reality show and become an actress or whatever. When I was there, it was like you do movies or TV or you're a celebrity like a socialite. So I think it went more into that, all the focus, rather than me doing a job, you know. And I read uh, a story where you were talking about a time when the Paps were absolutely hounding you. It was really intense and they call things out at you to try and upset you. And was it Kyle who ran interference yeah. or something for you in a car? Yeah, yeah. Well, we were getting chased by I'd say about 10 cars or something and they all run the red light. So you try and get, like, the orange and then they all ran the red and, yeah, Kyle had to just, like, go leave her alone, like, and step in between it because it was just so chaotic. But the stress of it and also when you haven't got a job and the paparazzi are following you, you feel like a dick because you're like, I'm not promoting anything, I'm not doing anything good, it's just following me for the sake of what I'm doing in my life, which felt, you know, when you're not earning money or working, it just feels almost embarrassing. And also, too, it adds to your anxiety, doesn't it? Totally. We are always looking over your shoulder. Um, and I used to care what I looked like at the beginning and then I started going, you know what, I'm going to wear Uggs and trackies and just get out there and just try and be me. But the article's always backfire. You know? <laughs> so um, I, I, th- I think you do, in LA everyone gets chased because they might be waiting for Britney Spears down the road and then you happen to be there so they'll all just come to you. It's just they're everywhere. It's not like um, Australia where they, it's very rare. It's just every day, all day. Because they're, yeah, just waiting for celebrities everywhere. And didn't someone mistaken you, was it for Charlie's Theron in some restaurant? Yes. So I went to a restaurant with my friend and she was like, um, you know, I went, uh, we were getting like the best table and like all this, you know, overboard stuff. And I was like, welcome to the world of, you know, celebrity. And um, so we were getting all free meals, everything. And, I, and she was like, this is incredible. And even I was like, this is really incredible. But I won't tell her. I was like, yeah, it happens all the time. And then at the end, they went to me, you know, we've had such a great time having you. Thank you so much. Could, you, could we get an autograph, Charlize? And I was like, what do I do? So I just wrote, Love Charlize, thank you. And I was like, let's get out of here. <laughs> oh, yeah, free meal, it. but I was like, you know what? Technically, I kept I kept them happy. They didn't know any different. Yeah. It was a win for everyone. I reckon that's great. And that's right. We win, win, we all won. Yeah. And now you came back yeah. to Australia and you did the Bachelorette, and your mum convinced you to do that. 
Well, I think it was more of a, she was like, you're so single, you're not going to meet anyone, you know, outside of these circles. Because I think I've been in the industry and all my friends are so in the industry. It'd be nice to meet a different walk of life just to balance it out, you know. Um, Yeah, so she said you should do it and it happened within a week. I was, yeah, ready to go for the show. Because I watched you, I loved you on that show, and I watched you on that, and I would want to give you a big hug <laughs> because I think we were all so invested in wanting you to be happy. And I think, I hope you felt that. I hope you knew how much people loved seeing you, but wanting you yeah. to, to find someone. It was the sweetest thing for me ever um, because I did go in with the right intentions because I know television and I really went in going, I, you know, and I think people were a bit sceptical that I was going on for profile or something else. And when I think everyone understood I was there because you can't lie anymore to the public, you know, on reality shows and stuff, we see it all the time. It's like the audience are very clever. And I think the fact they invested so much meant so much to me. I guess over the years people have seen, you know, no one's living and breathing me, but I I think um, they have kind of seen relationships fail and all that over the years through publicity, you know, and, yeah, to see everyone was invested. That's why I had to share when I was engaged and about Josh because I was like, I I went to the public because they've been so invested in my love life, which ironically then I'm like the host of two shows that are kind of romantic love shows but and I've been unlucky in love my whole life. But um, no more. Yeah, You're not unlucky anymore. No, how that's did you? It. Yeah. yeah. And so, how did you know Josh was the one? Is the one? I knew straight away. You know, people say love at first sight, but I just had this connection to him. He was just—he's very socially intelligent and then book smart. But we just spoke for like hours, and then um, we met on a plane. And I remember going to him, are you single? Because I was like, I just thought I'm never going to meet anyone. I'm just going to leave for work. And then, yeah, he was like, yes. And I went, can I kiss you? And he goes, well, yes. And I went, okay, where's my toothbrush and toothpaste from the business class section? And we went and brushed our teeth. And then I came back and I went, okay, let's do this. It was like high school. Um, And it was like a a 16-hour long flight. So imagine he went, no. I was like sitting next to him. But, uh, yeah, and I just knew straight away. And then, yeah, got his phone number. Oh, I thought um, you were going to say it was a 16 and a half hour kiss. <laughs> oh, no, no. No. <laughs> um, no. Well, it was a long one, though. <laughs> Nothing else happened, by the way. It was just that. Um, but he, at the end, was like, bye. And I went, can I get your phone number? I was like, oh, no, he's good. I thought he might have been a player because he was so smooth and sweet. And he gave me his number and I couldn't remember his name. I knew it started with J. And I was like, so the first like couple of weeks we spoke, I was like, what's his name? <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to try and get a hint. Yes. I, know. I was like, how do you spell it? And he's like, J-O-S-H. And I was like, oh, I thought it might have had a silent K. I don't know. That's how I got it out of you. And But that story, I think, of how you met, I mean, that takes real guts on your behalf to sort of say, how about a kiss? Because would I be right in saying you're not really comfortable with sort of affection with people? You don't like sort of holding hands no. or doing that sort of thing? No. Well, um, especially in public, but don't think I didn't have liquid courage, like a few champagnes, like for sure. Because I had I had one in the lounge and then we had two and I was like, yeah, cool, got this down. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, talking about Josh, I reckon he's got to be a fairly together, strong, 
self-confident bloke. He's got a big feeling good within himself, I reckon, to be with someone like you. Totally. He's just very level and balanced and I'm not because I'm just all like, you know, sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, I've upset this person. And the next day I'm like, you know, I, I, I'm very emotional and sensitive, like I said. Um, he's very calm and, yeah, um, not jealous. He's just a really good guy, really. Which is what you deserve. And, and the thing is, from what I'm hearing, he lets you be you. And I think that's the key to any good relationship, that you're almost yin and yang and he allows you to be you, he does him, and you just come together in this beautiful way. Yeah. Um, also, you know, he always says, I'm gorgeous, you know, because, you know, a lot of guys can get jealous or whatever. He always says I'm beautiful. Even if I put on weight, he's like, you're looking better. You know, like he's just, yeah, very good for uh, what I'm missing. He's got everything I'm missing. Oh, and yeah. your career is just going gangbusters as well. You, you're doing some great reality. And as you'd mentioned, you know, it's with with love and people wanting to find love. And that must be kind of nice to be where you're at now and you're seeing doing it on, on the screen as well. Oh, I love doing it. I, I mean, because I've been on both sides of reality so much, like I've done a billion shows, um, I think I've got such empathy for them as well because I think you can watch reality shows and go, oh, my God, they're overreacting, but wait till you're in that environment where all you're allowed to think about is live and breathe that. It, it feels like a week feels like six months of emotions. So... Yeah, I'm just very empathetic to them being on TV and revealing it all, especially Beauty and the Geek, because, you know, a lot of those boys never had a first kiss. And to do that and be that vulnerable and open was just gorgeous. You on know? the telly so, as well. Yeah. Aww. So I think for me to be a part of that is awesome. I mean, I love reality. It's my favourite genre. Um I remember back in the day, it was like oh, the R word, like the industry didn't really love it if you were a musician and came out of reality or, you know, but times have changed. And I think everyone deep down loves reality oh, or at least one reality show. Oh, know? I reckon. And you yeah. on The Masked Singer, oh, my goodness, Dragonfly, you yeah. just owned that. What was it like singing again after all that time? I was so nervous because I barely sing in the shower, I think. I just went, you know what, I'm going to throw myself in it. And there's something about it. It's like being a little kid and you put a mask on a kid. Having a mask on and no one knowing it's you, you, you know, kind of all your inhibitions go. You, you just feel comfy and it's such a different thing. There's something about just putting a mask on. You can just be, get into character and have the confidence and not worry about what people are thinking of you or anything. And just go for it. I have to yeah. tell you a funny story, though, at my expense about The Masked Singer, they asked yeah. me to do it. Yeah. And but yeah. my agent said to them, Jessica, she cannot sing. And oh. and the thing is, oh. I can't sing. Like, I, it's not just being polite, I can't sing. And they said, oh, no, I'm sure, you know, we've got some voice people. You know, she'll be right, she'll be. And he said, no, no, she can't sing. And so then I sent them a tape of me singing. Of you singing. And you know how with TV people, normally it takes people a long time to get back to you. Literally yeah. within 20 minutes of them having the tape, they rang back to EW, my agent, and went, yeah, you're right, she can't sing. <laughs> oh, no. Isn't, you know what? I've had a similar thing. So there was one TV show in Australia. I won't say which one because you'll figure out who got fired. So they had a host that actually got fired and they went, we're hiring Sophie She's the best for it, blah, blah, blah. And they went, you know what? Just for shits and giggles, we'll get her in just to do a screen test, but we know she's got it. 
Anyway, I was sitting around and the pressure of knowing that, I was trying to read the auto cue. I couldn't read it. I saw all these smiles just go to like <laughs> devastation. Anyway, the guy got his job back. <laughs> and I, I just, I was like, oh, an hour. And they were just listening to me read and I can't read. Like under pressure, I think it's the ADD thing. I can now do auto cue easy, but I think I got it in my head and I could not read. And they were just like, she cannot do this job. Yeah. <laughs> Probably best I did do a, a screen test because it was a live show too. Oh, my goodness. So, but but, the, but yeah. the thing is, though, and I reckon you do this, we have to just put ourselves out there. You've got to go for things because it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. That's it. And I think that's the fun thing with performing is the more you throw yourself in there, you can learn. And I think that's what's great about reality shows. You learn something about yourself. But um, I think you've got to do that in life anyway because you only live once and they're all great memories and good or bad, they're a great story, you know. So what's next for you? You've got some new music coming out. What's next? Yeah. I just go with the flow. I love doing kind of a little bit of everything. I, I love my job a lot now. I think early days I, I didn't enjoy it as much, the you know, attention being on you and stuff. But I think since social media, it's changed so much for me because you don't have to read some of the stuff. Media is a lot kinder now. Because I remember back in the day before social media, I'd wake up at like four to read the newspaper because I've done an article and it was horrendous and awful and talking about my weight and I'd ring up the newspaper. I remember ringing the Daily Telegraph going, hey, guys, you really, like leaving a message saying it really hurt my feelings and um, I'm really upset and you'd have to wait for the next interview to kind of fix it and then it'd be another bad headline. Like nowadays it's just a lot more open and fun and you can answer the press and it's taking the pressure off. So it's just, um, yeah, I'm pretty lucky to do what I do now. But I hope too, Sophie, you just realise how fabulous and glorious you are. Oh, that's really sweet. I don't know about that. I'm not sure I'm even talented. I just, like you said, you throw yourself out there and I've, I've been performing since I was a little kid and I, I think I failed every grade since three, like in school. So it was kind of like my parents were like, arts, you know, dancing, singing, acting, all those kind of things. So, yeah, I think I enjoy it, but... Um, yeah, you just try and do your best and not hurt anyone's feelings. That's my thing anyway. Oh, well, you're such a beautiful soul and I've so oh, loved thanks. talking with you. Me too. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for that. Sophie is someone I really want to sit down and have a rosé with. I'm sure she could teach me some cool phrases, but I'm not quite sure that the word cool is cool anymore, but I think it's cool. Oh, the things I can learn from her. What a woman. If you enjoyed my conversation with Sophie, please tell your friends. And for more conversations like this, search the Jess Rowe Big Talk Show podcast. I'd love you to join me for my next episode, where I sit down with Osha Ginsberg to talk mental health, addiction, and how things are never quite what they seem. You can't use a sick brain to think your way out of the problems of having a sick brain. It's like trying to bite your own teeth. It doesn't work. You actually need someone else's thinking to go, hey, I'm over here. I'm over here without the panic and the fear. Did you ever think about maybe seven cups of coffee might be a bit too much today? So maybe let's knock it down to about two. And have you been for a walk around the block? Okay, okay, we'll start for a walk around the block. Okay, let's go do that. The Jess Rowe Big Talk Show was presented by me, Jess Rowe. Audio producer, Chris Marsh. Executive producer, Nick McClure. Supervising producer, Sam Kavanagh. Until next time, remember to live big, 
Life is just too crazy and glorious to waste time on the stuff that doesn't matter. Listener.